That's all, folks. America bugs out of Afghanistan, pulling their troops out and leaving hundreds of Americans behind. No one knows the exact counts, but also stranding thousands of SIV applicants, men and women interpreters who worked for the U.S. government, who whose lives are now on the line. And that causes the White House, House to have a, a deep searching of heart, and they considered changing the military slogan from leave no man behind to will help them with our diplomacy and rhetoric. Because after all, if speech is violence, well, then American can just wage their new war against terrorists by talking them to death. Hey, it's Lucas Scrobot, and you're listening to The Lucas Scrobot Show, where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. Episode 254, it is September 1st. It's actually early, we early hours of the morning of September 2nd, 2021, coming to you from the heart of the Middle East. And the, man, again, the mess, the mess continues, but the rhetoric Oh, the rhetoric, it just sounds so good. It's so pleasant to everyone's ears. It's amazing what a little bit of propaganda can do. But the facts on the ground in Afghanistan, I, I mean, I feel like, I don't know how many episodes we've been on this, six, seven episodes now. We should change this to the Afghanistan show or something. Uh, but really, it's the biggest, the <laughs> biggest crisis um, and just failure of the American government Effects it it is going to have an incredibly profound impact on the next fifty years of American politics, on the, the next fifty years of geopolitical um, positioning and power across the globe. It is it is not just something between Afghanistan and America, but is really a, a pendulum swing on on a global scale. It is. It is important to understand what is happening there because it is going to it is going to impact this coming generation, fifty years plus. Well, on the ground, security, Afghan security forces, they are no dummies. Thousands of them, thirty five thousand, thousand commanders and military, they have all fled the country crossing over borders clandestinely. They know what is coming. They know that the, the season of forgiveness is, is small, is narrow. Are already, there have been commanders who have been executed. There, there are reports of, of uh, military and Air Force pilots being stoned and killed. They know what's coming, and they're getting out of Dodge. There are reports of musicians being killed. CNN uh, did a report of a, a young YouTuber, young YouTube lady, who was, who was killed in the, in the bombing of that 270. Now, whether she died from a bullet from U.S. forces or, or NATO Turkish forces or from the bombing, we we can't be certain. I'm not certain. Uh, th there are reports. More reports are coming in. Verified reports of young women, 19, 20 years old, even as young as 14, 12 years old, being taken by the Taliban and forced into Taliban marriages. Uh, just 
the horrific stories, one after another, people being taken and beaten and tortured for their affiliation with the U.S. government. Thousands, thousands are fleeing to the surrounding land borders in Pakistan, Iran, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan. Now, some pe- I'm sure some people think, well, these they're, they're overreacting. They should just calm down, just see how it's like first. These, these people are not fleeing to get on, get on a, a plane to make it to Canada or America or Orange County or Europe even. They're, they're not going to have s- some great, magnanimous, cush life moving to Pakistan or Iran. It's, it's just not the case. It's not going to happen. They're, they're taking backpacks, walking hours over mountains. The footage of people just streaming over these mountains or the footage of thousands of people crammed in worse than the footage that we saw at the airport, crammed in, trying to get uh, through the border into Pakistan. Unbelievable. The risk of life that they're taking just to get out of the country to become a refugee, to have nothing, to leave their job, their land, their livelihood, everything that they've known behind with a backpack, to become a refugee in Pakistan. It, it, it demonstrates that these, that these people, they remember what was happening just months ago with suicide bombings and over decades of the Taliban Killing countless through suicide bodies or, or the Haqqani network who, who are now in power in Kabul. Su- suicide bombings, truck bombings, terrorist networks running the country. And that's not just, oh, well, that's just the U.S. propaganda calling them terrorist networks. These are people who took responsibility to say, yep, we did that suicide bombing that killed dozens of people. That was us. This is not this is not just a, a propaganda. Well, you know, you call them terrorists, but really they're freedom fighters. Freedom fighters that that force young girls into marriage and and kill people in households if they refuse or fight back. People who who blow up civilians. Those are not freedom fighters. Th- th- that's the definition of sowing terror terror, fear into the hearts of people. Definition of it. That's what a terrorist is. They're sowing fear, that you would live in fear on the edge of your seat, fearing for your life. Well, that's why these people are running. They're not running because they think that they're going to have an easy life in some of these surrounding nations. They're running because they know if they don't, they're likely going to lose their life. Well, Biden gave a, a a magnanimous congratulations speech on the failures of America in Afghanistan. It was, it was really something. It was a celebration speech about one of America's greatest failures. Uh, we're, we're not going to dive too deep into the speech today. Uh, he seemed pretty uh, angry and aggressive at something during the speech, mostly defending, mostly reiterating again and again and again how you know he inherited this deal from a predecessor. We had to decide whether we're going to escalate or get out when we said. If we didn't get, you know, it's just every every reason of why he made the right decision, how the buck stops here, and this is the decision that I made, and this is the best decision that could have happened. And 
we didn't foresee all these other things, but this was still this was still right, and this is an amazing day. We ended the forever wars. Well, here's uh, Biden, President Biden. We have what's called over-the-horizon capabilities, which means we can strike terrorists and targets without American boots on the ground, or very few if needed. We've shown that capacity just in the last week. We struck ISIS-K remotely days after they murdered 13 of our service members and dozens of innocent Afghans. And to ISIS-K, we are not done with you yet. As Commander-in-Chief, I firmly believe the best path to guard our safety and our security lies in a tough, unforgiving, targeted, precise strategy that goes after terror where it is today, not where it was two decades ago. Okay, little question. When we ask about where terror is today, we're, we're, we're going to get to the drone strike, stuff, drone strike stuff in a moment, but w- this end of this clip, if we ask ourselves, okay, where is the terror today? The terror that he just mentioned about ISIS-K, where, where is that? Oh, that's in Af- Afghanistan, the, the place that you just left. Uh, where is the terror today? Who, who's running security in Afghanistan? Oh, the Haqqani Network, who the leaders have a $5 million bounty on their head. Where, where are those today? Oh, in Afghanistan, the place that you just left. And oh, it's okay. We have over-the-horizon capabilities to strike. Oh, my. Well, what did they end up striking? As we mentioned in previous episodes, they had two strikes, one on some ISIS-K members, and then there was a preemptive strike where, according to the, the reports, there was suicide bombers in a car with a car bomb heading towards the airport that there was a drone strike on. Uh, we mentioned yes in the previous episode about, about this, and at that time we had the data that we had when we released the episode. There was one at least one child died, and now the the real story comes out that a a family of ten ten civilians died, including seven children in that strike. Now it's unclear of whether those kids were in the car or just too close, or the family was too close, or if the explosives that were in the vehicle that exploded at the time of the drone strike ended up killing those civilians. Regardless, these uh, over-the-horizon capabilities, they they have their side effects. Here is Jen Psaki uh, answering and fielding a question at a press conference about just this. You've described the drone strikes as successful and that America still has over-the-horizon capability. Uh, it appears that several children were killed in one of the drone strikes. Can you say that it was still successful if that was the collateral damage? And how will the U.S. determine that it has the intelligence necessary to keep carrying out these drone strikes if civilians are going to be caught in the crossfire? Well, first I would say we take uh, civilian casualties and the possibility of civilian casualties incredibly seriously in our U.S. military, perhaps more than any other country in the world. Uh, there is an investigation, and I don't believe the military or CENTCOM has spoken to or confirmed what has been some reporting out there by news organizations. I will note that in CENTCOM's statement just two nights ago, they made clear that their assessment was that 
there was the vehicle that was the target also had explosives in it. And those explosives may have also led to an impact on the ground. But there's an investigation that's ongoing. And that's that's re- I honestly, that is a reasonable answer. It's a reasonable answer to say, well, there were explosives in the car. At the same time, the question was great. You called this successful, and yet 10 civilians, a family of seven died. Now, what the, the question then goes to, you know, and all these things, they're, they're balancing risk assessments. It's what is, what is going to lead to greater damage? Do we strike this car now knowing that 10 people, civilians, innocent people may end up dying from it, or do we let them go and carry out this attack where hundreds of people could die from it, depending on on where they detonated that car bomb? So I I don't think it, I don't think this is clear cut. I think it's horrible. War is horrible. If you do not hate bloodshed, bloodshed will pursue you. And that is the truth. If you, if you do not despise and hate bloodshed, bloodshed will pursue you, which is why as as societies and nations, we ought to hate bloodshed. We ought to hate the shedding of, of blood. And that, you know, that goes for America, which is very guilty, very guilty of the shedding of blood. And I think as individuals, I believe as individuals, even though we're a part of nations, that maybe our nations or maybe our society or maybe our community have been guilty of that shedding of blood, we can be ones to say, you know what, I, I detest that. I, I can stand up and I be, can become a peacemaker in my sphere, in my family. I can be one who detests the shedding of blood and, and absolutely resists and abhors it, or it can be one that goes along with it, and, and, and that goes to, down to our personal lives. Well, one thought that I've been thinking about this whole ISIS K, and that K stands for Khorasan. We, we mentioned this in the previous episode. Uh, episode 253. Uh, one of the things I've been thinking, this is a theory, this is probably a little bit unfounded. Some people have been kicking it around on uh, some of the accounts that I follow are kicking it around. But uh, it would make a whole a whole lot of sense to me because ISIS Khorasan really in some ways split from the Taliban as the Taliban wanted just to rid the occupiers, the foreigners from Afghanistan, where ISIS Khorasan, ISIS K, they want to have global jihad. They want to spread it everywhere and have global domination. And so the Taliban making any sort of uh, compromises is seen by ISIS K as just total betrayal. So they've, the, the narrative is that they've split and their bitter rivals and their sworn enemies, as uh, the, I believe Biden, President Biden said in his speech, and as I believe uh, Jen Psaki mentioned in uh, the press conference as well, they're sworn enemies. But it would make a whole lot of sense, just it would make a whole lot of sense for the Taliban to have an under the table handshake with ISIS K and saying, hey, look, I know we're you know, sworn enemies, but we, the enemy of the enemy is my friend which is common in many places they say that. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Well, what's the enemy of my enemy in these cases? Well, that's the U.S. forces. 
So even in these cases where it's, ah, oh, it's, it's ISIS-K that's doing that, I wonder, I wonder if there were uh, some handshakes underneath the table to let some of these things through and then just saying, okay, hey, ISIS-K, you take the blame so that we as the Taliban, we can, we can look like we're really doing, you know, we're doing good in the eyes of the international community. They'll leave us alone. They'll let us do our thing. And uh, we'll be able to gain power. And you guys will be our, our proxy group that carries out our revenge that we want. And we'll disassociate from you, but we'll kick it some money to you underneath the table and we'll have some she- secret handshakes. Now, that is total... It's totally unfounded. That is just um, some stuff that's been floating around that, I don't know, it sounds pretty juicy to me, but don't take that one to the bank. That's just uh, some conspiracy for thought. Well, here's something that's not conspiracy for thought. Back to President Joe Biden's speech. Um, who, Who really comes out ahead on this? Well, the one and only China. The world is changing. We're engaged in a serious competition with China. Ah. (laughs) We're dealing with the challenges on multiple fronts with Russia. Wait, um, who who paid who paid Hunter Biden again? Millions of dollars. Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden. Oh, that was China. Yes, the the world is changing. Oh my! Sorry, this clip. We're confronted with cyber attacks. And nuclear proliferation. Cyber attacks, this cyber pandemic. Remember when that happened? Oh. We have to shore up America's competitive to meet these new challenges in the competition for the 21st century. And we can do both. Fight terrorism and take on new threats that are here now and will continue to be here in the future. And there's nothing China or Russia would rather have, would want more. (laughs) Uh, in this competition in the United States to be bogged down another decade no. in Afghanistan. Oh my. No. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? For, first, uh if we're if if America is trying to compete on on that global scale and uh, with trade and competitiveness, I don't know if giving up a truly strategic geopolitical positioning in in the heart of Central Asia that is the back door to China. You literally have a back door to China right there in Afghanistan where you had a huge operational base so that if China ever, if America and China ever went to war, right there, there has a, a massive military operation where the U.S. could go in, reset up shop in Afghanistan to wage war in the in the future event lord willing it doesn't happen inshallah of of a war between china and america or the west and a soup and right there right next to russia as well i mean talk about a geopolitical stronghold that you want to have some sort of presence in some sort of handshake with the government in where you can still re- maintain a little bit of a presence to defend yourself in, in the future. And so when he says, ah, there's nothing that China would want more than us to be here still fighting this forever war. Are you kidding me? Sure, they, they probably enjoyed the fact that America was 
keeping terrorists at bay and keeping them focused at other things and keeping them out of places like China and Russia, because China and Russia does not want that in their country. But they are they're glad the Taliban is already saying, yep, we're making we're making diplomatic relationships with China. We're making those handshakes. We're going right in. China is stoked to cut deals about those three trillion dollars of raw minerals underneath the surface of Afghanistan to to fuel their lithium batteries. It's it is a happy day. And China is laughing their way to the bank with this. They're like, oh, my goodness. Oh, Biden, man, he he was a good bet. Glad we bet on that horse. This worked out well for us. (laughs) Oh, the fact that China, the thought, the thought that China is upset about this or disappointed that America is gone when they finally now have an ability to increase their Belt and Road Initiative, connect with Iran. It's, I mean, it's a massive win, massive win. I, I don't know how that can be seen a different way. I'm sure someone does. But, wow. Anyways, uh, Biden goes on in his pe- speech. This is, the last, this is the last clip from President Biden. On, on the c- continuing, the ongoing efforts of humanitarian efforts that America will be making in Afghanistan uh, from their speech. You know, because as I said in the intro, um, speech is violence. And therefore, we don't need to wage war with real weapons. We can just talk the Taliban and the terrorists to death, and uh, that will be the violence that we wage. And if it, if we're really forced to it, we can move on to silence is violence, because we all know that silence is violence. So maybe we will just stay silent, and our silence will be the violence that we can use against the Taliban. Because, man, you know that a, a good terrorist really hates the silent treatment. That's, that's the worst. You say, hey, uh, I'm going to give you the silent treatment if you don't watch out. That, it stops him every time. Here is President Joe Biden. And for anyone who gets the wrong idea, let me say clearly, to those who wish America harm, to those who engage in terrorism against us or our allies, know this. The United States will never rest. We will not forgive. We will not forget. We'll hunt you down to the ends of the earth, and we will, you will pay the ultimate price. Uh, but they, I understand. It's the over-the-horizon capabilities that they're still going to carry out strikes, and now it's going to be a, a shadow war rather than a uh, forever war. It's going to go on with, with airstrikes, apparently. That's what it sounds like he's saying. Um, it's still, it feels like double talk to me. It's, it's saying one thing, but it's completely contradictory. He, he goes on in this, this last clip by him. Let me be clear. We'll continue to support the Afghan people through diplomacy, international influence, and humanitarian aid. The influence that's gone, the humanitarian aid that's not going to get into the country. And if the Taliban is anything like we've been seeing in other countries with, with completely corrupt and broken governments. Uh, where is that human? Oftentimes that humanitarian aid gets swept up into government systems where they're, they're just not actually getting to the people on the ground who truly need it. And so how, how if you have zero presence there and people aren't in the country, how are you going to get aid to people? 
And what we've, as Amer- as an American, influence, I mean, of course, we still have influence in the world, but it's, this has definitely tarnished America's re- reputation. We'll continue to push for regional diplomacy engagement to prevent violence and instability. We'll continue to speak out for the basic rights of the Afghan people, especially women and girls, as we speak out for women and girls all around the globe. And I've been clear that human rights will be the center of our foreign policy. Which is why we just abandoned people and and caused uh, totally destabilized an entire nation. But the way to do that is not through endless military deployments, but through diplomacy, economic tools, and rallying the rest of the world for support. My fellow Americans, the war in Afghanistan is now over. Yeah, the war is over. Uh, the The troops on the ground war is over. But as I said, the shadow war goes on. The The other thing, this there's this idea, this ideology that is out there that, well, you know what? The real reason that that people turn to terror, that people turn to violence is because of lack of education. The real reason that people turn to crime is because they're in poverty and because, you know, people in poverty, they commit crimes more. And, and that's the real reason. That is a total load of, of hogwash. That is just not true. And we know that's not true because we look at people who have millions of dollars who they still turn to crime. They still turn to embezzling money. They still turn to, to violence, turn into violent drug lords. So they're, they're still highly educated. Education is not, is not the answer either. But... When there are bloodthirsty men or women, people who are set on on moving their agenda forward through violence, as we have seen the Haqqani Network do, as we have seen the Afghan, uh, the uh, excuse me, the Taliban do, as we've seen that moving their agenda through violence, not just violence through warfare, where there's to armies that are battling, but violence through, through abusing civil, civilians, killing civilians as a means to strike terror, strike fear in the hearts of people. There is, no, there is no talking someone down off of that wall. In, in the diplomatic sense, there, there, there are ways that people can have dramatic life changes and change who they are and turn from that life of, of violence. I do believe that. I believe that is possible. But the, the government's responsibility is to wield the sword, is to defend its people. And we've come a, a long way from when America stepped in in Rwanda when there was a, a genocide, and, and they stepped in to, to help people. And that is... There, that, that is a role that governments ought to play in the earth. They, America is not supposed to be the world police. They shouldn't be going around policing everyone else's nation. And I, I understand that that is a valid argument here, saying, you know what? It's not our country. It's not America's country. They do not need to be policing there. But there is a responsibility because they've been there for 20 years. Been there for 20 years. There is a level of, uh, of responsibility or maybe a level of 
commitment that has been made, a mutual commitment to one another that has been abandoned. And the fact that someone thinks that, well, we'll change this, we'll, we'll change this through diplomacy. I, it's, it's not happening. I, and I strongly doubt it will happen. I pray that there is a, a, a radical changing of the hearts of those who are now in leadership in the Taliban in Afghanistan. I pray that they do keep their promises. I truly do, because the alternative, you know, I don't want, I don't want to be right about the Taliban on this one. Do you know why? Because the alternative means that th th tens of thousands of people will die in, in genocide. There'll be millions more refugees fleeing the country. Well, oh, I'm getting off on a rant. Here's, uh, there's this tweet that was out by Ned Price, who's from the State Department. He said, the Taliban needs to meet its commitments and obligations in Afghanistan on freedom of travel, respecting basic rights of people, upholding its commitments on counterterrorism, and not carrying out reprisal violence against those who stayed and forming an inclusive government. This is what we, this is true. We, we all hope that this will happen. And as Jensaki said, and I believe as President Biden also said, they're not holding their breath. They don't trust the Taliban government. But it definitely seems like they're just willing to, I don't know what they're willing to do, but all, what I do know is it is a tragic, it is a tragic day for thousands of people who are now hiding in their homes, living in fear, risking their lives to get out of Afghanistan. And no matter which way you cut it, there is, there is a responsibility that falls on America for that. Well, speaking of a new government in Afghanistan, here is a, a clip from, and a series of clips from WION, the world is one news, a great, a great little news network out of India. They're kind of, they get a little sassy in a couple of moments of these clips and I like it. Here's, here's clip one from, uh, on, on the Taliban, um, from WION. Running a country isn't the same as raining bombs. Their Islamic emirate has all the makings of a failed state. The economy is in a mess. There are rival terrorist groups in action already, and those in charge have no experience of governance. Oof. R running a country is different than raining bombs. And that is true. They have all of a sudden inherited an entire nation. They've inherited an entire government. And they have not been in governance. They've not set up health systems and nations and, and laws. They've been a, a, a terrorist organization bombing villages and, and striking terror in the hearts of people. So it is one thing to, to win this war that they've won. And even th their spokesperson says, you know, we didn't expect to win it so fast. We didn't expect to just be able to waltz into the capital. We didn't think that that was going to happen. But here we are, and so we're, we're now scrambling to form a government and figure out what we're doing. 
Myanmar. And so how, how are they going to hold up those humanitarian rights? How are they going to uh, lead their government? Well, you might have seen this, this video going around the internet with a, it's at a news station and the, the news reporter is, is reporting and there's two very crazy looking Afghan Taliban military with guns standing behind him, forcing him to read off good things about the Taliban. You would think that they'd be a little bit more coy, that they'd stand maybe behind the camera as they read these things through. Uh, it's just incredible the stunts that they're doing as they they lead try, try to figure out how to lead the nation uh insane well as this clip said earlier can the taliban unite their nation can they figure out how to lead their nation they have more troubles facing them than than the fact that their banking system is collapsed that america is holding billions of dollars have seized billions of dollars of their of their reserves the taliban has come in and swept all the money out of the bank to to fund their new government because they came in and just boom a, a nation of 38 million people is all of a sudden theirs the the food prices are going through the roof humanitarian aid has stopped and they, they They've limited people from with being able to withdraw $200 a day from their banks. When that's not very much, especially when you look at food prices that are skyrocketing. At the airport, one report was showing that a one bottle of water was $40 US at the airport, outside the airport, with, with those throngs and crowds of people. $40. US Now, of course, that is absorbent. A plate of rice was selling for 100 US dollars at the airport. Now, that's not what's happening every other place in the city. That's not happening every other place in the nation. Some, some people are saying that prices are up 35%. I've also heard they're up times two, times three in some areas. So the economy has collapsed. So they have all of those problems. Of how do you put together a, a nation? How do you develop rules when everyone's scared? Most people, I'm sure some people aren't scared, but thousands of people are scared enough to go running to the border. Here's the second clip by WION. The only industry that's still thriving is that of terrorism. Multiple terror groups have risen to the surface. They all want to share in the Afghan power pie. Groups like the Islamic State Khorasan, Islamic Movement of Uzbekistan, and Eastern Turkish Islamic Movement have all had links with the Taliban. But now they may challenge the Taliban's authority. Do the Taliban have the wherewithal to bring all terrorists under one umbrella and ensure order? It's a tall ask. Now, if, if you're looking on, the, on a, your phone, or if you're watching via video, you see all these uh, soldiers in U.S. military fatigues. 
and they're, they're looking all you know all hardcore. They're doing this this great propo media shot of their three one three unit, the the special forces of the Taliban in a military U.S. military fatigue, which is quite a punch, <laughs> quite a punch to America. What a great propaganda piece! I have to give it to them for that. Every every American is just their stomachs are twisting at these images. But it's one thing to put on a fatigue. It's one thing to step into a, a presidential palace and say, I'm the president now. I'm in control of this country. It's one thing to put on that title of authority or to put on a, a military fatigue and look like you're a, a really amazing special ops person. But it's another thing to be a special ops. It's another thing to know how to run a nation and to have that capability. And as this clip is, is talking through, there are multiple different terror organizations that are fighting for power, that were somewhat unified through the, the loose binding of the Taliban. But will they be able to harness all of these groups in? And will these warring factions, as the winter comes, as the economy continues to struggle, will they turn to infighting? Will this turn into a full-on civil war in Afghanistan, displacing millions more? This clip, this clip goes on. The Taliban is struggling to break away from its existing terror affiliations. They have promised to break ties with Al-Qaeda and the Haqqani network. But criminals and terrorists are making their way into leadership roles in government. One of the names in the running is Khalil Haqqani. And we've spoke about Haqqani a few episodes ago. A senior leader of the Haqqani network. He's the one with a $5 million bounty on his head. Khalil Haqqani is blacklisted by the United Nations and the United States. Reports say he is set to emerge as one of the most powerful men in Afghanistan's future leadership council. So far, the Taliban has dealt with its problems with guns. Now, it faces an economic meltdown, a challenge from rival terror groups, and the pressure to deliver on governance. Whew, that is a tall order. I mean, I wouldn't want to be leading... A nation at all. I don't want to be leading a nation, period, let alone leading a nation in this situation, even though it's, it's, I'm sure it's such a great day of celebration and victory for them. The thought of trying to, to piece all of that together so suddenly uh, is a recipe for disaster, in my opinion, a recipe for disaster. And as they said, they're trying to this is the this is where I think it's just pure propaganda. They're trying to disassociate themselves from terrorist networks, and yet the people that they're putting in power are people that were in charge of other terrorist networks. So it is just a great. It's they're just they're talk the Taliban's propaganda machine is strong. The 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 people that are just pro. The Talibs, strong. The force is strong with this one. Well, speaking of the fatigues, the military fatigues and the 313 uh, forces, the 
the the eyes of the world has been on the airport. The airport and American citizens are uh, not citizens. American military are gone. Citizens have been left behind. Uh, but the three one three forces are the special op forces. The Badr forces are now in charge of the airport. The Taliban say their so-called elite force, the Badri three one three, will be in charge of the airport. And you must know this. This force derives its name from the historic Battle of Badr, the one mentioned in the Quran. This was when an army of 300 soldiers defeated their enemies, who were in the thousands. So a small force defeating a very big one. The Taliban seem to have a penchant for symbolism. But do they have the expertise to run an airport? They lack skilled staff to take care of logistics. Say they manage to build an efficient team. What's the guarantee this airport will be a safe zone? And most importantly, what happens to Afghans? Will they still be allowed to take flights out of Kabul? Will, do they have the logistical capability, especially as what's happened is called the brain drain, where all the, where all the, the military leaders all the people who had logistics experience, many of the, the doctors, many of the people who are working in high government positions with know-how of how, how things are running in the country, how everything fits together, they've left the brain drain. Will they have the logistic capability to keep the nation afloat? And then where will all these, these people go? Will the, will the Afghans who worked with the U.S. military and fought against the Taliban for years, will they be able to leave? Well, right now, they're not, because the airport is closed. The airport is pretty much just defunct. It's been totally uh, destroyed. Uh, so people are, fl- are fleeing, flocking to borders, and one of the borders that they are flocking to is the border of Pakistan, the Pakistan-Afghanistan border. Where are they entering from? There are five major border crossings between Pakistan and Afghanistan. The Khyber Pass, Torkham, Ghulam Khan and Angur Adda. Pakistan has shut these four. The fifth one is the Spin-Boldak border crossing. It's the only one that's still open. But the situation there is worse than what it was at the Kabul airport a few days back. Look at these images. Thousands of refugees remain stranded at Spin-Boldak, crammed like a herd of animals, waiting for their turn to cross. And Pakistan is making them wait for days, hoping that they'll eventually give up and return home. Those who are being allowed to enter are not being allowed to go far from the border. They have no food, no clothes, no shelter. They remain stranded near the border at a 10-foot deep trench separated by barbed wire. I have come from Afghanistan. We and our children are homeless. The situation was bad because of the war. We have neither land nor employment here. We have come here and sat at the houses of our loved ones. Now we are forced to beg by the roadside. It is difficult for children to get two meals a day. We pray to God. And people are aware of this going in it's it's not like people who are fleeing their homes and crowding these borders are thinking ah it's this is the easy way ah it's going to be great on the other side of this border they're just going to be so welcoming to us here in Pakistan it's going to be uh, you know the the aid the the food stamps everything that they the government is just going to put us up no way they are going in wide eyed they know that it is going to be difficult 
and yet still thousands. If you saw if you saw the footage, or if you've seen the footage, or the the image on your on on your podcast right now, the the thousands of people crammed trying to get through that gate. Unbelievable! What 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 is Pakistan doing for these thousands of people that are trying to get in? Besides just keeping the border pretty much shut so that it's very hard for people to get in. So hopefully they, they turn back and go home. Here's WION. Man, what a great news network. I, I kind of like these guys. Pakistan's Interior Minister Sheikh Rashid says that not a single Afghan has been granted refugee status till now. Nice. And neither does Islamabad plan to do so in the future. Why? Because Pakistan fears that terrorists may try to enter their country in the garb of refugees. Now, it's good to note that there's quite the rival between India and Pakistan when it comes to Kashmir. And it's clear that this news network isn't a big fan. And at least this, this anchor, she is not a big fan of Pakistan. That's rich from a country whose biggest export is terrorism. The fact is, Pakistan doesn't have the appetite to accommodate more refugees. It doesn't have the resources or the money to keep them. It played blood games in Afghanistan. It armed the Taliban, brought them to power, legitimized their rule. Oof. How could karma not hit back? But for many in Pakistan, the realization still hasn't kicked in. They're singing praises of the Taliban, unfurling their flags, chanting their slogans, telling the world how good they are. Uh-huh. The, the propaganda machine, and that's what a, a lot of, at least the Afghan accounts that I follow, a lot of them are saying, you know, if for those of you who are praising the Taliban who don't live there, if you love it so much, you can go live there yourself. And uh, that is, that's a good word. That dog will hunt. Well, on to our next segment. Yeah, that makes sense. In a post-truth society where we've exchanged truth for lies and reason for postmodern irrationality, the absurd finally makes sense. And this is this is just rich. Uh, <laughs> this is great. This little three-segment clip. The the Americans left the airport, and I've seen some clips of. American soldiers complaining about how they had to clean the airport up and they had images of these toilets that were just overflowing that the troops were supposedly forced to clean. But here's the, here's the other side of the propaganda machine. So that's, you know, the American side. We were forced to clean up the airport before leaving. The other side is the, the, the Taliban is upset. Why are they upset? Because they destroyed military aircrafts, U.S. military and Afghan special forces military aircraft on the way out as if they should give them more than the $85 billion that the U.S. government has already handed over to, to the Taliban and other terrorist networks of M-16s, military fatigues, technology, uh, armored vehicles, and airplanes. But, but here is the entitled, I mean, the entitlement has started just like it starts so fast. Here's, here's uh, some of the Taliban spokespeople talking about and giving a tour through the airport. Um, the last thing they have done to Afghanistan is to destroy their unique international airport. And all of the systems, all of the uh, stuff, equipments, 
um, the cars, particularly they have poisoned the armor cars. The Americans have poisoned the armor. How? Uh, if you want to get inside the armor car, you will die. Um, one, uh, the last sentence that's... With chemicals? They've laced it with chemicals? Yeah, yeah, of course. The last sentence that I heard from an American soldier, he was standing there, he, and, and he said, we were trying to, um, to leave the airport in a professional manner. So now the world sees how professional manner is that the American leave here. If, if you're looking at clips, you can see all these helicopters that are damaged, helicopters with the engines torn out, airplanes, C-17s, I believe, that are totally d destroyed so that they can't be used. Uh, and previously, I guess I didn't cut it, uh, The this gentleman was saying th they destroyed these these airplanes, how horrible of them. And again, as he said, this if this is the professional manner that they're leaving them, as if they're entitled to these airplanes that were bought and paid for by the U.S. government, given to the Afghan security forces who have fled the country, why, why do they think that the U.S. government is going to, and the military, just give them more just, just here, here's our, here's our helicopters all intact. We hope that you can use them. A another clip uh, from, again, this, this is WION. I'm standing inside a hangar that has Chinook helicopters, the same Chinook helicopters that were given by the U.S. to the Afghan for Air Force and the Afghan Army. They've been damaged to the point beyond repair, but uh, the Taliban engineers here say that they would be able to repair them. Wow, the, the Taliban engineers say that they're going to be able to repair them, be, be able to repair uh, uh, helicopters that, if you remember, the Afghan military wasn't even able to keep afloat and running with maintenance, which is, this is one of the cause of the downfall of the, the Afghan special forces, is that the U.S. pulled their men out, their air support out, and then block contractors from being able to go in and service their military. And the way that the U.S. trained their military forces was using air and light land infantry and having communication between the two. Well, the Afghan security forces weren't able to maintain the air force and, and the maintenance that was required on these vehicles. And yet the Taliban, so, so confident, is saying, oh yeah, these helicopters that have been totally disabled, all the avionics uh, ripped out, all the, the engines ripped out, just totally destroyed, we'll be able to repair them. That is uh, uh, just a breath of confidence right there. Um, maybe a little too confident. But, I mean, of course, you just took over the whole nation. I mean, what, what can't be possible? But again, the, the entitlement that I can't believe they just, they gave these helicopters to the Afghan security forces that we chased out and we're killing their guys, but I can't believe they, they destroyed them. They should be ours. Just, it's just so, just doesn't stop. Well, who, who's in charge? Who's in charge of the airport right now? Ooh. Overseeing the entire operation was Taliban leader Anas Haqqani. Haqqani! The brother of Sirajuddin Haqqani, <laughs> who is the deputy leader of the Taliban. Oh, there it is. The Haqqanis are taking over. Again, this is the, that 
one of many terror networks that are, are deeply connected with the Taliban and have deep ties to uh, Al-Qaeda. And it brings you all the way back to the beginning where you say two things. One, the Taliban is trying to disassociate themselves with terror and they say, oh, that that Taliban from two months ago, three months ago doing terror strikes, that's not us. We've changed. And yet you're putting terrorists in. I, I, and not just not just like a title, but these people organized suicide bombings against civilians. The other thing that makes you think it goes all the way back to President Joe Biden saying, you know, wherever these terrorists are who are threatening us, we're, we're going to find them and get them. We'll, we'll go there and find them. Do, do you not realize where you just left? Now, I also realize that President Donald Trump signed a deal with the Taliban, which released many of these uh, leaders out of prison. And as I said before, they could have been. And it might turn out to be uh, one of the greatest mistakes that that President Donald, former President Donald Trump, uh, ever made. Well, this show is brought to you by viewers like you. For all those who have given to the show over the last month, thank you so much for essentially being executive producers of this show. Thousands of people tune into the show every month to help them understand what is going on in the world so that they can walk better in the world, walk rightly in the world. Because if we can walk rightly in the world, we can actually fulfill our purposes and thus own our futures. If you want to become a producer and help put the show on the air, you can visit our website at lucasscrobot.com. This is a value for value podcast. So give the value that you feel that you are getting out of the show. You can also visit newpodcastapps.com to find a podcasting 2.0 app that you can load up your Bitcoin wallet and you can stream little one pences and two pences, little Satoshis as you listen to the show. Don't go away. We'll be right back with a killer quote for our Weaver and Loom segment. Welcome back to Weaver and Luma, part of the show where we take ancient wisdom and we weave it in with our everyday lives so that we can own our future and weave our destiny. Today's quote is actually in an ancient Arab Arabic proverb, which goes like this, Med rajulik al-gadlul-hafik, which translates into English, only stretch out your legs to the extent of your blanket. Now, this can be applied in many different situations. It can be applied in budgeting. You know, don't, you know, live beneath your means. Don't live above your means. But this also, I think, is really fitting for what has happened right now, in some ways, accidentally to the Taliban. They have, they have extended their legs beyond their blanket. They are way out in the deep end, over their head, trying to run a country that they've never run. They've, they've never been in a position like this before. I mean, 20 years ago, sure, but that was a whole new world. And now they have multiple terror networks that are part of their network that they're trying to 
make peace with. They're trying to keep the peace between. How are you going to do that when the economy is failing? When, when the, the nation is falling apart, where you don't have a government, where thousands are fleeing. And, it, and this is my fear, that the Taliban has, has so quickly taken over, and they've, they've overextended themselves so far that is, this might seem like, you know, the worst, the worst thing that could happen. Oh, oh, this is horrible. But what could come in the months to follow could be much worse as if a civil war breaks out, if, if everything erupts into absolute chaos there because they've extended themselves further than they can maintain. I've been reading a book on strategy, which is talking all about this concept where we have an infinite amount of goals and aspirations, but we only have a limited amount of resources. And in that, we have to match our limited amount of resources to specific goals to be able to reach them. But what happens when we overextend ourselves and we stretch beyond our abilities, everything falls apart. We, we saw this in, in multiple wars, especially into Russia, where military forces just overextended themselves into Russia in the, the dead of winter as the Russian forces drew back, which then caused these Germany to totally falter and fail. Often people point to it as losing the war from it. That overextending yourselves too much, too fast can lead to your downfall, taking too much land too fast. And that ladies and gentlemen, seems to be what, is happening, what has happened and what could continue to happen with the Taliban in Afghanistan. Will they be able to stabilize it? Only time will tell. Well, speaking of time, that's all the time we have for this show today. In order to get more out of the show, share it, talk about it with a friend. You don't even have to actually Send the message or send the, the episode to a friend, but talk about these ideas with a friend. It will sharpen your mind. It will sharpen your understanding. And you should SMS or text someone, whether it's your friend, your spouse, your coworker, this episode, because they will feel more love knowing that you are thinking of them. That is all. Thank you so much for being here. Go out this week, discern the truth. Learn how to see the world rightly, to see the world clearly, to clear the fog so that you might walk in the world rightly as you ought to, so that you can fulfill your purposes for your life on this earth so that you can own your future. 